Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. I think, Annie, we need to address the elephant in the room, or should I say the monster in the room, which whom some commenters and reviewers seem to think is you. There, And if you're not obsessively reading the reviews on Apple Podcasts, we I'll just give you a summary. We have some lovers, we have some haters, but we have a few troubling comments about how you seem like you're being really mean to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I say troubling because like I have, and I, I we were talking about this just before we started recording, I've never once, number one, felt that you were being mean to me on or off the podcast. Number two... I've never like listened, re-listened to a podcast episode and thought, oh, like that sounds like she's being mean or like that sounds like a dig. I don't know. So I really don't know where it's coming from, but I kind of want to just to clear the air <laughs> and clear <laughs> your name that everything that is said between us is in good fun. And also, dear readers, remember that we hold the final edit. So if Annie felt that she had been mean or I felt that I had been bullied or something, we would have cut that out. You guys should hear the right? stuff Nick says to me is all <laughs> I have to say. I know. No. No. What do I say? I say only nice things. No. I don't know. I mean, look. But like, can you even think of an example of something that you like said that you like thought in retrospect sounded mean? I feel like I giggle a lot, but it's never like at you. I think it's more like you are like rolling your eyes at like me being ridiculous. Like when I'm like, Wanting to buy an Hermes diaper bag, bag. which interestingly enough won me more enemies than it did. Hermes didn't send you a diaper bag? (laughs) No, I'm still waiting for that gift bag. I get a lot of, um, I don't know, like she thinks she's too cool or what, and it's just, it sucks. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Also, just people don't know, people don't know how like weird you are either. You think this is what our snick just called me weird? (laughs) (laughs) Why am I weird? No, but. I mean that in like a loving way. Like I feel I think like we have like good debates. And that's what I was wondering if because somebody said I have like petty disagreements with you, but it's like, isn't that the point of this podcast? I thought we were supposed to just like debate and have conversations around. Yeah. It's our podcast too, so we can do whatever we want. Um <laughs> and they can the beginning to the end of it, we have no advertisers. This is a labor of love. And we're gonna say what we want to put a pin in this whole story. I wanna just say that for the record, I Love and appreciate Annie, and I appreciate everyone who's looking out for me. But (laughs) listen, if Nick has a friend in this world, it's me. Okay. I love Nick. I go to him with so many personal things. We talk all the time on and off this podcast, and we have a great relationship. We keep each other honest in a way. I think that's like part of what's fun about being friends with you is you'll call me out, I'll call you out if we're being ridiculous. Like we can say sometimes that. we sometimes we fuel each other's ridiculousness too. Yeah, it's exactly. A good, this is fun. Whatever. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. I wanted to just talk about one other thing that is not related to the beauty industry. Well, not directly related to the beauty industry, and it is a new obsession that I have, and it's only available within like a five mile radius of this one place in Los Angeles. So it's not relevant to most people listening to this podcast, probably. However, it is the Goop Kitchen. So basically what that evil genius Gwyneth Paltrow did is she basically took like all of the dishes that 
sound goopy. Brown and cauliflower rice with roasted tahini salmon and like spring vegetables with furikake or chickpea and mountain air brownies. Yeah, like she cherry picked like the delicious sort of like probably best, you know, performing goop recipes from like the website Mm -hmm. and from the 15 years of goop. And she created, she, you know, rented a ghost kitchen in LA and now, and has a restaurant. It's a Postmates only. Yeah. Can you explain a ghost kitchen? Because I feel like that's very LA specific. Maybe not. So I only know, no, I don't think it is, but I think I, I only actually know that it is a ghost kitchen because our friend Esther Pavitsky, <laughs> she's outside of the delivery zone and she went to Goop Kitchen because she was so excited to try it and I asked her like was it what I was picturing which was like a literal like it's like you kind of don't want to know where the food is coming from you know because that's not the point and she said yeah that is a ghost kitchen a ghost kitchen is essentially it's branded as a restaurant but it's really just a kitchen where you you can make an Italian restaurant out of that kitchen you can whatever it's just about the brand Mm -hmm. right and you like order food from the brand and it all comes out of the same kitchen or you, you rent a kitchen space for the brand. It's not like a storefront. It's not a restaurant. You can't go in. You can't in. go on a date there. You can't have a coffee there. It's just like a, it's a kitchen. Mm-hmm. Long story short, it's delicious. But how much is an entree? So uh, the goop teriyaki bowl, which is like sauteed greens and free range chicken and cauliflower rice and marinated cucumbers is fourteen fifty. They have like a delicious meze platter for twelve ninety five, it's actually not that bad. My favorite, which is the Brentwood Chinese chicken salad, is thirteen ninety five. They have like chicken lettuce wraps and mushroom lettuce wraps and curry chicken salad. Okay, rolls. we've like given everything. them enough. <laughs> it's just fucking delicious, and they're not paying me to say that. And she's an evil genius because I feel like if anything that you'd want to buy from Goop, it would be like delivery food. It's hard to find really healthy takeout, but anyway, Gwyneth, you did it again. Speaking of Gwyneth, did you watch the TikTok where her daughter is like criticizing her morning routine? No. Apple Martin? No. They posted on the Goop. So she's at this point trotted out her daughter to like start hyping Goop Glow. They launched a Goop TikTok and it's like Apple in like a little cloud above her mom, like describing what she thinks her mom's morning routine is. And among other things, she says, well, she's been on a cleanse since the day I was born. (laughs) She eats like only dates and something like that. We should play a little bit of the audio. So first, my mom drinks her Goop Glow Super Powder and she eats nothing except for dates and almond butter. So she will have that. I suppose the Goop Glow is a part of her cleanse, which she's been on since the day I was born, apparently. And it's 8 a.m. and she's been doing this since 7 a.m. She just prances around the bathroom putting on her millions of goop glow products for her glowing skin yeah then she gets to work making some more vagina eggs and candles also vagina candles and vagina perfumes and (laughs) just everything vagina um and yeah that's my mom's morning routine what i love is that apple is in on the joke and giving her mom like a bit of a hard time. It's cute. Anyway, should we do top stories? Let's do it. Nick, let's talk about unions. Yeah. So you sent me an article last night that was published on Vice that was about a much beloved beauty brand, 
the one and only Lush Cosmetics, where they have purple sparkle bath bombs and hard shampoo soap. Yeah, because they're kind of, I think they've been positioning themselves since day one as kind of the good guys of the beauty industry. All their packaging is 100% recyclable. I think they've introduced like some innovation in terms of, yeah, like you just said, like a solid shampoo bar that requires no packaging but like the reusable tin that they send you and all their things are called like hey you over there shampoo they've always been you know vegan and all about animal rights and people really love them for that almost like they're almost like the canada of the beauty industry well yeah their whole thing i just read on their website they're canadian (laughs) it's lush fresh handmade cosmetics so it's all about handmade and like i feel like we don't need to explain to people because what i didn't realize about lush (laughs) is is it it's huge. huge. <laughs> it's like it's in every yeah. mall. I thought I remember Lush when I was younger and I don't know, I was like 12 years old and my parents made me go to Canada for a family vacation. And I remember being so excited to go to Lush because it was this rare thing. And I think it's always been in my head as that, but it is kind of a, a mall brand in the same way as like Bath and Body Works. It was like the handmade like alternative version of Bath and Body mm-hmm, Works. Mm-hmm. So yeah. their workers are attempting to unionize and Lush is not happy about it, which the reason why this is newsworthy, well, first of all, unions are in the news a lot right now with Amazon. And a lot of corporations trying to squash like unionization efforts. Nick, can you go into the geopolitics of unionization really quick? <laughs> um, no. The interesting thing is part of their public messaging is that they, you know, they're really thoughtful about how they source ingredients. By the way, all this information is coming from a very well-researched article by Lauren Kaori Gurley for Vice News. And part of Lush's messaging around sourcing ingredients is that they support companies that provide raw materials that have unionized workers that are about like workers' rights, no child labor, yada, 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 all that good stuff. Meanwhile, they're kind of speaking out of both sides of their mouths because they're trying to squash a union effort amongst their own employees right now who have grievances. This article didn't really get into the specifics, so I'm hoping that the reporter can get back to me so I can kind of understand more around what are the specific problems that lush workers are facing from the fulfillment warehouses to the manufacturing to it sounds like retail employees as well. But basically lush is saying like, don't join this union. It's not a good thing. They're not looking out for you in the same way that we will here at lush corporate. Nick thoughts. I don't know. It seems like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't comment on that. I mean, we both, (laughs) we both come from like a, startup background, which I feel like is a whole whole different animal in terms of yeah. like... I always had this idea when I was like an assistant and I was like, if everyone just told everyone else what their salary was, then like we would have all the power, right? Because like you, salaries are such a funny thing where like, as you and I know, and probably lots of our listeners do, it's all about how you negotiate. And some people are better than others at advocating for themselves. So I always thought when I wasn't making any money, it would be such a you know great thing if we all just said, how much are you making? And they're like, oh, you're getting 45? Like I'm getting 25 or whatever. And mm-hmm. then we'd like could go both go into the boss's office and be like, why? Like we're doing the same job. I've just been alerted by our producer. That is something that is an idea that has already been executed by many companies, but it it makes sense. And unions are obviously just a formalized version of that trend. So hopefully we can get Lauren Gurley on the pod. So this touched me much deeper than anything Kardashian related has touched me. 
probably ever. The internet was obsessed this week with a photograph that I believe like, this is the part that doesn't interest me, which is like somehow a photograph of Khloe Kardashian that was unretouched got on the internet, whether it was like an assistant who had accidentally posted it to Khloe's account. That's or the story. That yeah. is it? Okay. So somehow this photo got on the internet. It was quickly deleted, but not before it was screenshotted, obviously by people and publications who then posted it being like unfiltered pictures of Khloe Kardashian, to which the Kardashian legal team started issuing like letters asking people to take yeah, it down. Yeah, violation of legal copyright action. notices. Yes, all this shit. And then that was exposed and it was like the story then became like unretouched pictures of Khloe Kardashian caused like meltdown and like lawyers trying to like get pictures taken down. And it all seemed, number one, she looks thin and beautiful and great. I think she looks really good, actually. Like I agree. Everybody does it, does filters or, you know, whatever. And everybody knows the Kardashians love that. She admits to it herself. But like this photo was like striking. I completely agree. And it became this thing where it was like a crack in the Kardashian veneer of like perfectness and whatever. Perfection is the word I was looking for. <laughs> and last night, Chloe posted an Instagram video, like a slideshow that had a video of her showing her naked body, basically, completely unretouched, she says. And then she also posted a letter, which I found incredibly well written. She says, hey, guys, this is me and my body unretouched and unfiltered. The photo that was posted this week is beautiful. But as someone who has struggled with body image her whole life, when someone takes a photo of you that isn't flattering in bad lighting or doesn't capture your body the way it is after working so hard to get to this point and then shares it to the world, you have every right to ask for it not to be shared, regardless of who you are. In truth, the pressure, constant ridicule, and judgment my entire life to be perfect and to meet others' standards of how I should look has been too much to bear. Chloe is the fat sister. Chloe is the ugly sister. Her dad must not be her real dad because she looks so different. The only way she could have lost that weight must have been surgery. Should I go on? Okay, but who cares how she feels because she grew up in a life of privilege. She's on a reality show, so she should have signed up for all of this. I'm, of course, not asking for sympathy, but I am asking to be acknowledged for being human. I'm not perfect, but I promise you that I try every day to live my life as honestly as possible and with empathy and kindness. It doesn't mean that I have not made mistakes, but I'm not going to lie. It's almost unbearable trying to live up to the impossible standards that the public have all set for me. For over a decade now in photos, every single flaw and imperfection has been microanalyzed and made fun of to the smallest detail, and I am reminded of them every day by the world. And when I take that criticism to use as motivation to get myself in the best shape of my life and to even help others with the same struggles, I am told I couldn't have done it through hard work and I must have paid for it all. You never quite get used to being judged and pulled apart and told how unattractive you are, but I will say, if you hear anything enough, then you start to believe it. This is an example of how I have been conditioned to feel that I'm not beautiful enough just being me. I love a good filter, good lighting, and an edit here and there. The same way I throw on some makeup, get my nails done, or wear a pair of heels to present myself to the world the way I want to be seen, and it's exactly what I will continue to do unapologetically. My body, my image, and how I choose to look and what I want to share is my choice. It's not for anyone to decide or judge what is acceptable or not anymore. Yeah. Isn't that pretty amazing? No, I completely, like, understand and have been in that situation before and it sucks even like I had to get new portraits taken recently <laughs> and I hadn't had my photo taken in a really long time and I always have hated it always it makes me sick to my stomach 
it does. And my boyfriend <laughs> took them. And the moment I started seeing them on the um, monitor, I was like crying because I don't like seeing myself like that. Seeing yourself in a screen and having this idea of what you want to look like and then having other people like take something that you don't feel represents you and putting it on the internet and having no control over it sucks when you're not when nobody cares about you <laughs> but like I, yeah. I, I just I know everybody likes spoke fun of the Kardashians we even have fun with it ourselves hopefully in a kind way I hope you know I don't think that hopefully this helps people understand that these being animals online and saying the type of things that they do to, to her it's not like they're just going into like a a black box and they're not like seen by her. It's going to a yeah. real person. And like, I think the other thing that her statement really kind of made much clearer to me is I think we all, myself included, have this idea of if you're a billionaire and you have everything and you're like beautiful and have access to all these things, then like people should be allowed to criticize you because like you're opening up your life and you are on a reality show and yada, 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 yada. But ultimately, that doesn't mean that you don't hear the things that are being said about you, that you don't process them and that start and you start to believe them. And so I think you can't have it both ways. You can't have Khloe Kardashian posting filtered pictures and having everyone comment, this is so filtered. What surgery did you get? And then have her post an unfiltered picture and want to get it taken down because she feels insecure about her body that we made her feel insecure about or that we like it certainly reinforced her insecurities. So I don't know. Chloe, I, it, the way that it's written feels like it is what was written by her, which I really appreciate. It doesn't feel like a PR person wrote no, it. not at all. It's kind of interesting to see how this all played out because they went kind of the legal route. She had like her director of brand like reach out to these like publications and stuff. And obviously that doesn't work. Like when you're that big and something on, goes on the internet, can it ever be removed? No. And the other thing I will say in, in our Kardashian segment of the, of the podcast is that from within the industry, like within the fashion industry, the magazines, everywhere I've ever worked, they all have a really wonderful reputation of being incredibly professional, incredibly nice, like gracious, like easy to work with. They're not monsters. They're not divas. They're not like you don't ever hear any of that stuff. And you hear it about plenty of other people, but they seem to be like consummate professionals. Yeah. Unlike podcast hosts, they're just monsters. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, justice for Chloe. Let's talk about her billionaire sister. (laughs) So in other feel good news (laughs) that came out this week, Kim Kardashian, the little engine that could, is a billionaire. Forbes announced it. It's so funny, the relationship with Forbes. Like, it seems like a... it's a love-hate. It's love-hate. Because Forbes was trying to investigate and accused Kris Jenner of... Doctoring their tax returns. Yeah, of doctoring their tax returns to prove that Kylie was a billionaire. But now Forbes has decided that Kim is a billionaire. And they're saying it's because of her KKW Cosmetics and the incredible, most brilliant idea that's come out of the Kardashian camp, Skims. I have heard also inside industry buzz that the business is crazy successful and has the potential to be like the business that all the Kardashians are known for. Like the one business that is like the biggest breakout business. I mean, it's brilliant. It's so, you can say that they're not authentic all day long. I mean, we just gave an example of Chloe, but then with Skims, it feels like they really hit on what they're known for in a way, which is 
this almost a little cheat in a way like shapewear is not nothing new but it's like hacks it's like yeah exactly body hacks and kim just embraced and like yeah i do wear like a freaking piece of elastic that makes my waist like 26 inches around when i wear a tight dress and i have bike shorts that hold my like butt and thighs in but if I have a high slit, I cut the leg off of one. Like, it's just like all, you know, it's like insane. And she has tape to hold her boobs yeah. up. She's she's like, look, yeah, I guess you guys know it. Let's like capitalize on this and let me. Uh, yeah, it's genius. Yeah, it's, but she's uh, a billionaire. Bless, bless her. her. Bless her. Bless Skims. On. Bless the Terry Cloth Collection. I almost, I ordered Skims one time. I don't think I have the body for it. I've been on the site and been like, maybe they make men's stuff now. Not that I want like the shapewear, but I would like a great Terry Cloth situation. Here's a scary story in, I would say, like the most legitimate publication in the world, the New York Post. (laughs) And it is a story, though, it is quoting an article that came out in the Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health in March, which was basically connecting chemical preservatives and other additives in processed foods and damaging immune systems of those who consume these products. So there's two compounds, tert butylhydroquinone, TBHQ, and per or polyfluoroalkyl substances, PFAS, PFAS. They've been identified in more than 1,200 foods sold in the U.S., and they're in everything from Pop-Tarts to Rice Krispie Treats to Cheez-Its, not Mm -hmm. Cheez-Its. They're also known as quote-unquote forever chemicals because they survive indefinitely. Ay, ay, ay. They're used often to create a nonstick lining in packaging, aluminum cans, pizza boxes, popcorn bags. They may leach into food contained within the package. Anyway, the data has been shown that it can impair the immune system based on animal as well as in vitro non-animal testing. They're basically saying like it, it'll, it could reduce the effectiveness of vaccines. And there's a doctor at the Environmental Working Group who suggested that poor diets could have contributed to the severity of the coronavirus outbreak. But like in Italy, they eat delicious organic food. Oh, you think and so? And what about the Mediterranean diet? They don't eat delicious organic food. Let me tell you, I dated an Italian guy for a second and he like weirdly... <laughs> no, but in Italy, not like In Americans. Italy. No, we went to Italy. I'm telling you. And what did he Like eat? packaged. He was obsessed with this like tortellini and brodo. It was like their version of Chef Boyardee. It was like packaged canned like pasta soup and then these weird sugary no it's not and then these weird sugary like iced tea drinks like capri suns also this man was 36 years old i'm like what are you doing i was so annoyed this sounds more more of an issue you had with this man a lot of issues with this guy (laughs) anyway there apparently is great data to suggest that like these processed foods are bad for your immune system So we can add this to the list of reasons why you really need to eat goop. Yeah, goop kitchen, basically. We had talked a few weeks ago about how Estee Lauder had made the decision to close Becca Cosmetics, which they had purchased for $200 million, not even 10 years ago. And they just announced this week that they're also closing Rodin Alio Lusso, which is the brand that started with one face oil by the gray-haired stylist Linda Rodin. And I say gray-haired because she's known for her gray hair and her gray poodles. They had acquired it in 2014, and 
she left the brand before they had decided to close the brand from an outsider's perspective. They didn't really seem to know what to do with the brand. They tried some lipsticks. They tried some balms. They tried other versions of oils, but they didn't really seem to have another hit on their hands. And I think then also the face oil market just flooded with other options, a lot of which were much cheaper. Anyway, they decided to close the brand. So this is the second acquisition brand that Estee Lauder closed in the last two weeks. And it's interesting because I believe, I want to say that Rodin was acquired in the same group of acquisitions as Becca Cosmetics and Glam Glow and Lalabo. Like it was all right around the same time mm-hmm. where they kind of went on this spree. And so it's interesting to me for two reasons. One, it points to a question of, is this sort of formula of buying a brand and bringing it to either a new market, meaning like an international market, launching into a new category, so from face oils to color cosmetics, Mm -hmm. or going into a different retail environment, so saying you take it to Ulta or Sephora from like a department store brand, like whether that is actually working for the brands that they're acquiring and whether Lauder has in place the right brand people to evolve and grow. Yeah, to evolve the and skyrocket. I mean, that's the whole point, right? Like they have the resources to really like grow these brands. Well, they can grow the businesses, but my question is like, does this sort of show that they can't really they're stumbling when it comes to evolving the brands? Mm, so like Nick, a lot of uh, I was asking so a lot insightful. of people. I just want to grab your cheeks and... mm. No, I was asking people about Becca and the closure and and what they thought. And people were saying, well, it just seemed like it was kind of stuck. Like it never, like the image never evolved past this sort of beachy, natural, No, but I think that was the thing. thing. It's like they went too frosted. That's my theory. If they stayed beachy and... But they could have owned it or like... What is the evolution of beachy? I don't know. Like they're if they stayed beachy, I think they would still be here today. I think that they went too frosty. Yeah, I think Rodan and any brand that's just based in oil has pigeonholed themselves into the oil category. I think like the magic of an oil-based skincare routine has kind of faded. So it's interesting then to see. Okay, so Lauder closed those two businesses. They acquired the Ordinary at a two billion dollar valuation. What's between the Ordinary and Becca Cosmetics? Like the Ordinary is kind of brandless. It's more of a business and a product than it is a brand. That is not true. That is n- you don't think no, so? not at all. They're a genius brand. But the, right, the brand is being brandless, no, right? It's like I, no, you're I buying don't. 10% niacinamide serum. You're not buying like super bouncy Wuwa syrup. To me, that is the brand. Like, I don't think that like branding is just the, <laughs> it's so funny. Now I see all these new products come out and they're all basically like, if we had, you know, those word magnets on a fridge, yeah. it's all like cloud, jelly, bounce, super, right. and all like different yeah. mismatches yeah. of those words. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, like they, they're more like much more straightforward. Maybe that, that's what I mean. The brand is much more straightforward. It's not as... It's not as like voicey, but the way they do voice is, yeah. to me, I see that as like a branding person. I do see their voice. Yeah, I agree. It's just a different way of branding and it's brilliant. And it stood out in a world where sparkles and millennial pink and cloud jelly and whatever is now the norm. And so yeah, I think it's great. Anyway, RIP Olia Luso. It was a great run. And with that, I think we should get into our interview. 
We've been talking about Chris Appleton for a really long time getting on the podcast. But what I think really we noticed between this conversation with Chris Appleton, with Chris Appleton, we've seen a ton of murmurings around hair, Rihanna starting a hair care line, Cardi B starting a hair care line. Everybody has a hair care line now. Hair is hot. Hair is hot. No longer dusty, your word. He is probably the most famous hairstylist in the world right now, in part because of his work with Kim Kardashian, Dua Lipa, Katy Perry. Ariana Grande. Ariana Grande and J-Lo, including for the inauguration. And he just created a hair mask called Money with Gail Federici, who is the founder of ColorWow Hair Care and was also the brains and the brawn behind John Frieda Frizzies. You might not recognize her name, but she has touched you in some way. We've all, and I say we all, I mean, the brunettes too have used the sheer blonde John Frieda line. That was Gail. Hopefully. You know, thinking it's going to bring out our highlights. (laughs) Yep, it didn't. But she knows what she's doing. She creates products and brands out of this taking cues really from skincare about products that address a problem and present a solution, which I think is an interesting way she did it. And so we talked to Chris Appleton and Gail about their first collaboration and how it all began and hair and the category. And here's our conversation. We haven't really done a lot of hair content. No, and neither of us are hair experts. I would say it's probably the category that we know the least about. As people that have worked in beauty for what, like over a decade now. Hair is a funny category too. So from like an industry perspective, you know, if you think of like the Sephora store as weighing the importance of different categories in the beauty world from a consumer's perspective, makeup is in the front. Now, sometimes there'll be like a skincare kiosk in the front, but that's a new, relatively new phenomenon. But it'd be makeup in the front, then skincare, then fragrance and hair care on the back wall. And that, to most people, indicated that hair was kind of like the dustiest category Mm -hmm. that people would have to get all the way through to the back of the store to actually sort of discover the hair brands. I think that's obviously changed in the last five years. But tell me a little bit, you were John Frieda Frizzies, so you, you sort of gave some energy into the hair category. When did that come out? That was a long time ago. It was in 1989. Wow. Yeah, a long time ago. It's as old as me. <laughs> That's the first like iconic hair care product that I remember. That you remember? Yeah. yeah. I mean, weirdly, it was the first product ever, the serum for frizzy hair, when about 65 to 75% of people have some form of frizz, either genetically or chemically treated or whatever. They have some form of frizz, but yet at the time, there was no product, not even a single product out there with the word frizz on it. So it was sort of this blinding glimpse of the obvious that we call BGOs. That um, A blinding glimpse of the obvious? Yes. I like that. That's like the better version of like a white, white space, space in a yeah, category. That's, well, yeah, same thing. But I have that hair type. I have super frizzy hair, and I was always working in hair care, working with chemists, and met John, and John had some products, John Frieda, and I had this idea for a product for my hair type. And he asked me to join forces with him. And I said, that sounds great. And we can promote the products that you have, but I have this idea for frizzy hair. How do you feel about my working with chemists and putting together a line for this hair type? 
He said, fine. And so I went over to the UK. We started working with a chemist there with an idea of some ingredients. And Frizzy Serum was born. And what was the hair category like in 1989 when that launched? It's a really good question because at the time I felt that you went to a store to buy shampoo like you would get gas in your car. There was nothing exciting about it, aspirate, nothing sexy about it. And there was really no problem solution. And I said to John, I said, this is so odd that in skincare, there's a whole line of products for you if you have oily skin, a different line if you have dry skin, but there's nothing except for shampoos that are categorized like that. So there's nothing for people with my hair type, frizzy hair. I always say that if I didn't have this horrible hair type, I would probably (laughs) never made five cents in my life. But yeah, necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, exactly. And I think also like that moment with frizzies and then when a lot of those salon brands went into the drugstore was kind of like the first kind of pop where hair became a thing. There was a Veda. There were like all these brands that added like botanicals into hair care mm-hmm. and herbal essences in the 90s. And and then it kind of quieted down in the 2000s and it became this sort of like dusty category. Do you agree with that or is, am I wrong? Well, for us, it was never dusty, <laughs> to be honest. It was very exciting. When- yeah, Nick, that's so... <laughs> No, no, it's but fine I mean, because like I overall, understand yeah. what you mean about yeah. Sephora always yep. putting the hair care in the back, and now they're moving, and yep. they're putting hair care up in the very front of the stores. I think they have 40 stores that they're opening, and the hair care is going to be in the front, and they're moving in that direction. And that's very symbolic. Yeah, I feel like hair care is like one of the only remaining categories where the consumer, like the individual, really does still need help from a professional. You can color your hair at home, but we were talking before, like Nick was speaking with a friend that is a hairstylist or hair colorist saying like so many people are making emergency appointments now after having done their hair at home. A lot of people can't cut their hair at home yet with makeup and skincare through YouTube and all these like more nuanced products. There's been more of a like chance for like the consumer themselves to take control and not really need an expert. Chris, so you were you were born and raised in the UK. Uh huh. Yeah. What brands were you looking at, like, as a kid, using, interested in? What brands, like, in hair care popped for you? I mean, the, the one thing I remember significantly was when, I guess, the Blondes launch happened with Gail's daughters, ironically. There was these two young kids that had this super cool haircut, which at the time no one really had. No one had these kind of really cool, edgy haircuts. And there was kind of music. And all of a sudden, they made hair care into like a music video. And I remember the advertisements on the TV and I remember I had brown hair at the time, but I was like, oh, I want to try that. I want a piece of that. I want to wash my hair in that. But it was for blondes. But you know, like what they, I felt like they did was cross over the line of just hair care boring and, and actually made it aspirational. And even people that didn't have blonde hair wanted to sort of go, okay, what's this? And that's so true. I bought it. I, and I have, yeah, me I too. Have I was just about to say that. I was, I was like, like, maybe it'll help turn my hair blonde. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I would definitely say that, you know, it's really, I was actually just sitting there when Gail was talking about frizzies and I was thinking to myself like, wow, oh, I remember all of this. And I remember thinking like how fresh it all was. Whereas this felt like you could have a piece of it. You know, this felt like you could get in there and it was cool. It wasn't boring or, as you say, dusty. I love that you... (laughs) It was fresh and cool. It was like a phenomenon. And we didn't anticipate anything like that. But 
I think it just brought some aspirational qualities yeah. to hair and some fun. You said aspiration, which I think is totally true in terms of what the John Frieda brand was able to do. Your guys' collaboration, your product is a hair mask called Money. And we were thinking, okay, this idea of expensive hair, rich girl hair. Then there are other brands that have products called like prenup and first class. And hair is a funny category in that there's a lot of connections to wealth and to socioeconomic status with how expensive your hair looks or how fancy your hair is or how much it costs and, and all that sort of stuff. And why do you think hair is tied to the socioeconomic piece. It was really interesting you said that because when we were thinking about the whole concept of what Money Mask was, initially you just need a, a strong word for what the product actually does. Money is a strong word. It really isn't anything to do with the financial meaning of money. It isn't really anything He says with, with literally how many gold chains are you wearing? Oh, Mr. T. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember, do you remember Mr. Yeah, T? Yeah, of course. Of course. But like one, two, three, four, five, five, five. I know. I brought some more yesterday. I was like, do I like Mr. T? She said, no, but Mr. T used to come here and buy all these. Kim brought me these and they kind of just became a, a build-up. They're not real. Oh, they're not? No. Could have fooled me. They go green in the shower. No, um, <laughs> it really wasn't about anything to do with money. And anyone that knows any type of the hair I do or any of the story that I, I kind of came from, I come from a small town in England. I really started doing hair when I was eight or nine years old. And my first kind of model was my mum. And I used to love doing my mum's hair because it was something I enjoyed doing with my hands. I enjoyed that artistic kind of approach. But more than anything, it was about always trying to make my mum feel good. I wanted to like somehow make her feel happier. She had five kids. She was a working mom. She, you know, was a wife and I wanted to make her smile. And I realized that when she stood up and looked in the mirror and I try and do these different hairstyles, I saw her reaction change. I saw this kind of thing happen when she went in the mirror and her shoulders would go back. And I saw something happened, something clicked. And that was the addiction for me. It was like, wow, you can really make people feel different when you change their hair. You can really make them feel good about themselves. You can make them forget about their everyday life. And that's been my philosophy the whole thing. So yeah, I do J-Lo now or Kim Kardashian. I guess some of the most famous women in the world. But, you know, really it comes down to still just making them look great because that's one thing. But feeling good is when the magic really happens. So I think what we wanted to do was capture that and put it into a mask and put it into a product that people felt like they could use. It's really nothing to do with, yes, it's to do with rich, shiny, glossy looking hair, but it's more to do with when you use this product, you should feel your absolute best. You should feel your, you know, best sort of alter ego. It was about giving you the best quality hair you could have, great ingredients to give you great results. But it was just more about the emotional value of... But it's not uh, called like feel-good mask. No, because that wouldn't work. But it wouldn't be like, oh, feel-good mask. People, But if money, people stop and look and like, what is that? You need that initial click of like, what is that product? Plus, mm -hmm. I have to say, when we were thinking about the name, it's like Chris always gives you that money shot. His hair, his signature thing about his hair, it's many different looks, all executed perfectly, but the quality of the hair is like on the money all the time. It's that texture, that rich look of... So when we were thinking about a name for the product and thinking about Chris's work and looking at Chris's work and how everything is so on the money and it is that rich, luxurious texture at the end, no matter what style it is, whether it's long, whether it's up, whether it's down, it always, the quality of the hair always looks super rich. What he wanted to do is help people because if your texture isn't good to begin with, I don't care how good you are at executing the style you want. 
if that texture isn't very elastic, bouncy, glossy, your end result is not going to be great. And that's really the point of that mask that he worked with our chemist, Dr. Joe, for a long time to get a one product that worked on all hair types that would help give you that perfect texture that he always can achieve. It's like swingers. What's the line? You're so money and you don't even know. Oh, it. <laughs> that's not so literal. Okay, okay. So we were talking before, you mentioned the transformation that you saw when you did your mom's hair. And, you know, you work with like the most iconic women across all industries. But also you work with more like the newcomers, right? So Ariana Grande, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were responsible for the ponytail. She already had the ponytail, but I guess I, we made it longer and we put the, remember the hoops in and kind of started accessorizing it and I guess evolved it into the creativity you can do with just more hairstyle, you know? Yeah, you've stretched the ponytail in all, in all of its direction. <laughs> it's still going. <laughs> yep. So we were like wondering and theorizing, this is like at least what I always thought the industry was like, like to get in with you as like a, an up and comer, like a new person on the scene is a really big deal, right? Like it's like getting in with like Kate Young as like a stylist and then Chris Appleton is now doing your hair and like the bigger talent around you is when you're like shooting into stardom. Is it like at the end of Wizard of Oz when Dorothy goes into like the Emerald City and she's like getting this makeover and there are all these people around her like strategizing what her look is going to be? Like what is that moment of transformation are you guys like sitting around with a powerpoint like, like <laughs> deciding like today we're gonna do a ponytail or how are those transformations happening i just think the reason i did this job and probably i mean i came to america four years ago and i guess it's definitely when my career changed it's definitely when things evolved and i grew as an artist and become more known and i think just creatively i know for me when i used to watch any pop star as a kid madonna particularly back in the day she was like the one that was changing it up it was always fascinating to me to see how people change their selves how they kind of transformed their look like for example when madonna did music and she did that kind of whole cowboy theme and it was kind of everyone mm. started wearing cowboy boots and i was always mesmerized how people would start to follow these trends so i think for me when i went into this i've always been into like the power of transformation i've never just been your wavy hair guy i never turn up and like do you want to just do some waves you know and i'm always like okay well what what do you want to be who do you want to be so for example i'm working with jlo i'm like what are we doing today are you jenny from the block are you like red carpet jlo are you movie girl jlo like who who are you like i kind of like to channel into people to see who they want to be and who they want to present themselves to the world so i think it's always just kind of like a creative talk of like, okay, what are we doing today? I guess even if it is just a ponytail, I'm always just creating. I don't know. It's just got this thing inside me where I'm like, all right, well, I'll just do a ponytail. It's funny too. Like you're, I mean, I guess Kim is not a musician, but she is very open to expressing herself in a lot of different like makeup and hairstyles and outfits. And she's she dresses up all the time. But in general, like I remember when I worked at Women's Wear Daily, I always wanted to do photo shoots with musicians because they were so like personal style was so much more of a part of their brand than an actress where like they would be paid to dress up as someone else versus musicians yeah. do it because that's mm -hmm. part of their thing. Do you do any actresses like really consistently? Because they, they, they don't want to take those fun risks. It's not like, who do you want to be today? They're like, I want to like look good in, in the red carpet picture. I do think actresses tend to stay a little bit more to, you know, a vibe. They're less likely to turn up in a 
you know, pink wig or a floor length. I don't know. It, it, I think as a pop star, there's definitely more for me, a bit more kind of creativity because they're almost channeling into these different kind of egos. And, you know, I guess, the, you know, your job as a pop star is to stand back. So the money mask, which is kind of like we were thinking in terms of like star products in hair. So there were frizzies and then it's copiers and mm-hmm. all the sort of like right. serums that smooth then reduced frizz. Then there were salt sprays, which kind of did the opposite. They like would create this beach. That this was ideal. like our beach blonde. I think we were also the first salt spray out there. Really? The beachy. Yeah. Is the hair mask sort of like what you see as like kind of the next sort of product trend in hair? You know, I think for me, the most important part of any hairstyle is dependent on the condition of your hair and it's dependent on what the quality of your hair is. And I think now we're in a society and we definitely are in a trend where, you know, the trend really now is just change. We're constantly evolving the hair. We do more to our hair than ever because you look at Instagram, one minute is short, next minute is long, blonde, and it's back dark. And everyone's trying to keep up. Everyone's like trying to keep up part of the action. So we're also used to picking up these really hot irons and just going for it with our hair. And I think for me, I wanted to bring out a mask so people could basically replenish what they're taking out. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what style you do. If you haven't got great conditioned hair, it just never looks good. And I think for me, the basis of anything is to start off with a good foundation and a great quality of hair. So I just wanted to offer a piece of that into a jar of all the things that I've learned about good quality hair and the effects that has. And then with Gail's kind of knowledge in technology and you know, performance. And we put that together into a product that we felt like, you know, every consumer could have a piece of and like, okay, you don't, you know, you, you're not JLo or you're not Kim, but you know, here's a piece of my experience of what makes great quality hair for everyone to try and indulge in. Now you have a billboard on Sunset <laughs> Boulevard and it's you without a shirt <laughs> on. <laughs> no, let's correct that. My shirt is on. Is it? It's just wet. It's an very, open. It's yeah. open. <laughs> an open wet shirt. There yeah. are some buttons Some buttons involved. Yeah. Let's not make it something it's not. Because <laughs> it could go there. But to that point, I wonder, and I guess I was like, this was ingrained in me as a young kid because my dad is an agent for authors, writers. <laughs> And he always said his strategy with his career was like he never did any interviews. He never did anything that would put him in the public eye because he felt like the last thing your client wants is to have a famous agent. How do you handle sort of becoming more famous yourself, being on a billboard on Sunset and having these very famous clients? I, I don't think they would feel threatened, but I wonder if they would just say, like, I, I don't need my hairstylist to be more famous than me this week oh no i don't i don't think it's i don't think it's ever even close to that i think i always come from a place of offering real people have great hair solutions i feel like it's my job to give people good hair and it doesn't matter if it's jayla or if it's mrs jones that used to come into the salon every week so you don't encounter resistance from clients who are just want to be the star no because my clients are the star you know i just see myself as a hairstylist which I'm trying to offer advice to real women because they turn to me. You know, it's like, for example, when I took Kim Platinum Blonde, everyone thought it was a wig or they were like, how did you get hair so white? That's not possible. Her hair's so dark. It's not possible to do that. So I did like a whole tutorial, like a whole video on it. And I did like a masterclass and I you know, showed people my techniques. Like, I don't want to sit on anything. I want to share that information. I want the hair care world to evolve. I want people to have a piece of the action. And if you think about how times have changed, it's not the smoke and mirrors now. People are like, okay, well, you see this. This is how it's done. You know, Instagram has changed the whole world. And Kim has always been very real. She made a whole empire on like the skims line of like, okay, well, I have cellulite. This is how I hide it. I wear these skims. You know what I mean? And like skims is like huge. I'm always so inspired by what they do and how they keep it really real for people and how they make people feel like they're involved in it and they can have a piece of it. 
She also made a career out of promoting her glam team in a way that like a lot of people probably before her who were as famous never did. This idea that like by bigging up and shouting out her makeup artists, her hairstylists, she was actually burnishing her brand. Yeah, she's incredibly supportive. I have a huge amount of respect for her as a client, but also as a friend. So I never feel like it's kind of crossing any lines because all it's really ever doing is, I guess, showing people how to get great hair. I think she was really generous too. I mean, she posted and I think she seemed really happy for Chris. She posted and said a lot of things she did not have to say. And same with Dua Lipa. I think clients, you have that kind of relationship with them. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a good friendship and a level of respect there. And I think it's, I don't know. I just feel like it would be really sad if I just sat on everything I've learned as a hairstylist. Like I've been doing this since I was 13. I did every aspect of hair. I went to, I got a color degree. I got extensions. Do you know? A PhD I, 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 in, in extensions. Yeah. I like that. No, it wasn't a PhD, but I did, there is a color degree you can do. Yeah, I, no, no, like I, know. I, I did my work and I just think that like real women, they write me all the time on Instagram. And my daughter lost her hair or my, my son, you know, please help. And I think it would just be so sad to sit on that and be like, oh, no, I can't. You know what I mean? It seems, yeah. seems wrong. I think that's one thing about Chris and I. Two things. One, aesthetically, we're always on the same page, Chris and I. But also we come from the same place in that we really do want to make a difference. We really do want to help people. That's what makes us tick. And they also, they do call it like a good hair day, right? There's bad hair days and good hair days, and those really can affect your whole day. Uh-huh. Or a whole week, or month. Okay, you hinted that this was sort of like one of many products that you hope or are in the process of developing with ColorWow. What, if you can't give any details away, what else do you think needs to be invented that hasn't been invented in hair care? I know Gail and I talk often about what's going on with trends, what's going on with you know, society and what's the demand for what real women want to achieve. So we've got some really exciting products, actually, mm-hmm. which I can't tell you, but they are kind of technology-wise above and beyond. Is there a product that you guys are like, this can't be improved upon? This is just the you best know, of the no. best? At times. So, for example, people yeah. have asked me to, when are you going to come out with the dry shampoo? And I say, well, we're really not going to come out with a dry shampoo unless we can make a real difference. Personally, I think it's better to wash your hair. And we do have our shampoo makes your hair stay clean longer because we don't have any ingredients that don't rinse off, which pretty much every shampoo has either silicones or conditioners or thickening agents. They stay behind and you massage them into your scalp and it's not healthy. Our shampoo doesn't have any of that. So your hair stays cleaner longer. So something like that, I said, I know there's money in it and people want that, but no, there's no breakthrough that we can think of. And there are other issues out there we want to solve. So there are times when we don't enter into an area if we can't do it better. And Chris, looking ahead for you, do you think after creating this product and the experience of PD and promoting it, has it changed sort of where you see your career going? Do you see it sort of more in the brand product development sphere? You know, it's important to me that I evolve and that I can grow as an artist. And I think as I've grown, I've learned how, you know, to create something and then also to offer it to many people and and translate that. So definitely to grow a bigger line of products. We knew we were going to have an initial splash. We knew that the press boxes was like, it was take it back with Chris. The concept 
behind take a bath with Chris was like, you, you can go from looking regular, using this to looking your best self, almost like you've had me with you and I'll give you a makeover. It, we always knew it was going to be like a lot of eyes on that. But for me, it was an, and a girl as well, it was about, do people actually like it? So every editor I spoke mm. to, every family member, every I sent it to everyone. I wanted people to love it. I want people to say, I, lo- I really loved it. I really loved the results. So even my daughter texts me and she never writes me about stuff like that. She's like, Dad, can you send me more of that mask? Because I love it. It's the only thing that makes my hair great. And that for me is like, okay, good. We did a good job. Like, People love it like we do because we, there was a lot put into it. And I, I don't care about like being a celebrity or anything. I don't give, I really don't give a fuck about any of that. I just give a fuck about doing the best I can do. And if I say I'm going to do something, giving people that and giving them their best and feel like they can have a piece of that. I need to keep giving back and keep, you know, evolving the products in answer to your earlier question and make things better. And going back to Sephora, how you said, you know, hair care, it's funny because like I just did a little Sephora tour and all the color wow has now just gone into Sephora and it's at the front of the store. And it's like a real nice moment to see like mm. people like, oh, wow, people. And you know what, what? A lot has changed. All of the things that have come out of Corona, I would definitely say it's elevated hair care it's elevated an interest into hair because people for the first time in such a long time were like oh fuck what do I do with this <laughs> fucking hair am I like I look like shit like you were so used to having a blowout going you know just having it done and all of a sudden like oh my god I'm brunette how can I cover this like I need everyone thinks I'm blonde or how do I just look cute for a zoom meeting how can I just make this look cute so there's such a demand for people to get hands-on. And I think there's definitely been a surge into like the importance of great hair because people are coming out of this like, oh, I see my hair doing. Mm. You know, I just, I just want to look good and feel good again about the way I look. And that kind of made me excited that people are kind of having that refresh into hair and the importance of it. And it's right in the front of Sephora. I think that's like a good symbolic, it's moved from the back to the front. Yeah, I wasn't actually expecting to be so touched. I feel like, you know, <laughs> you see people in the spheres of the Kardashians and... JLo and all that and like you said it feels very exclusionary and it's really cool to hear that it's not important to you it's more important to have a wider reach so that you know you can help more people feel feel good 100% and that's even with the mask it's like we didn't bring out the mask to be like the thick gorgeous hair you know it was for all hair types we made sure people with thin hair like loved it people with fucked up bleached up hair loved it people with you know any texture hair like curly hair straight hair thick. we wanted it to be inclusive for everyone we wanted everyone to feel like they could have a piece of it it wasn't just like this is only if you've got perfect hair you know what i mean it's like for, for everyone everyone wants a piece of it or deserves a piece of it you know i have one tiny shout out for arts and culture and that is The Nanny is now on HBO Max, and I started watching from the pilot, and it still works. Yeah, Fandra. Can we get her on the the podcast? The outfits are incredible, probably. The outfits are incredible, and the comedy is really still fresh. Like, it doesn't, it's, you know how you watch some old sitcoms, and you're like, this is not funny, and it's weird? There's something very modern and zippy about The Nanny. And I was, like, doing all this research about how The Nanny was created, and Fran Drescher and her then-husband created it together. Fran Drescher's from Flushing, Queens, and she married this guy. They went to cosmetology school together. Long story short, he's now gay. She's married to the guy who invented email. I think still. Literally, he invented email. But anyway, watch The Nanny on HBO Max because it's still funny. And it's like very comforting to watch a show from an easier time, a less complicated time. And really great outfits. It looks like Pat Field, but it's not, I don't think. Oh, if we're talking about 
throwback movies from around the turn of the century, can I put forth an arts and culture suggestion, which I just got into this week. The past two nights, I've spent on my couch furiously reading the subtitles of the movies Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Hero. Do you know what I'm talking about? Heroes or the movie with Dustin Hoffman and Mariah Carey? This movie, it's called Hero. It's directed by Zhang Yimou. Release date, August 27, 2004. It is a action movie with a lot of martial arts, but it's not like watching like a born movie. It is like watching a ballet. The shots themselves look like the most epic, like most beautiful, like fine art photography. And then the story and the dialogue, everything is so beautiful about this movie Hero. It's about an assassin that basically has worked his way into the emperor's palace and he's meeting with the emperor. And it's about his journey to get there and all of the trials and tribulations. of. And then there's a love story. Anyway, it's beautiful. It's on Netflix. It is on Hulu. Hulu. Similar but different is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. This movie was huge in the U.S. when it came out. I think I was a little bit young and like unsophisticated to, to see it at the time, but also fucking incredible. You have to see it. It's beautiful. I remember seeing it when it came out, but I need to, I'll rewatch it. Next on my list is going to be House of Flying Daggers. That concludes arts and culture. Can we get into product of the week? Yeah. My product of the week is actually a food segment. So do I get like special music or anything? I don't think we have it, but lay it on okay, me. Okay. So by accident, oh fuck, I'm doing it again. Japan. <laughs> <laughs> I was by myself. I went to a coffee shop. They had an item that I thought was an espresso, a shot of espresso, which I at the time drank a lot of, and a sparkling water. And I was like, this sounds very refreshing. I'm going to take my shot of espresso, and then I'm going to walk around this neighborhood. That's like a traditional way of serving espresso. What, with a side of sparkling water? Yeah. Get this. So the barista is preparing it. I'm like getting ready to, you know, take my little saucer and my little espresso. And she takes out a glass, like a tall glass, and starts pouring the sparkling water in the glass. I'm like thinking, okay, I guess I'll just sit here and drink my sparkling water from the glass. Never mind. And then she takes my espresso and dumps it into the sparkling water. Okay. And then I was like, oh, this is truly a single product. It's like a sparkly Americano? Yes. And now I love it. I drink it. Often. It sounds refreshing. It almost reminds me of Coca-Cola. If you like iced coffee and you like sparkling water, you will love this drink. Can I just give you one word of caution? I was listening to my new favorite podcast, which is Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. And I was listening to an old episode that he did with Jason Bateman in which he recounts a story of shitting his pants in a Home Depot and not really knowing why he shat his pants in this Home Depot, and then only realizing later that it was because he was consuming a lot of Pellegrino. And I guess Pellegrino can like really wreak havoc on your digestive system. So just be careful. Well, my preferred sparkling water of choice is Topo Chico. And why did we have to take it there, Nick? I'm just trying to enjoy my product of the week. It's inexpensive. You can get it most places. Why did you have to make it about shitting in a Home Depot? (laughs) So you know what? I'm going to stay on the caffeine tip. So my product of the week 
is coffee beans. And I am shocker of all shockers, like kind of particular about my coffee. I I guess I'm a coffee snob. I like to make my own. And, you know, I come from a family where coffee was very important. My parents used to live right next to this place in New York City called Puerto Rico Imports, which had really amazing coffee in like the 80s and 90s. And when they moved up to the Berkshires, they would get it shipped in before like that was a thing. And anyway, I have found the best coffee beans and I found them through my friend Daphne Javich, who is a nutritionist in New York. She's her Instagram is actually amazing. It's at doing well. And she had posted about this coffee company called Aldo's Coffee Company. They're in Greenport, New York, so the North Fork of Long Island. And it's 100% fresh, 100% organic coffee. And here's one thing I'll say as a side note to this. When I spoke to Kelly Levesque, the nutritionist who we had on the podcast, I had a consultation with her, actually. And one of the things she told me, if I decided to sub any organic product for a non-organic product in my diet, that coffee was actually a really important one to go organic with because of the pesticides they use to grow coffee beans and how you're basically just like literally like concentrating the pesticide residue in the coffee. Anyway, Aldo's, they ship nationwide. I really like the Bali Blue Krishna coffee roast. I like the earthy and seductive blend. They have a Costa Rican, they have an Ethiopian, and it really makes me happy to get A, shop small, B, delicious, strong coffee. They also have, I mean, like when I'm feeling naughty, they have these like chocolate dip biscotti that they make in-house that they'll also ship nationwide, and they are amazing. Aldo's, A-L-D-O-S dot com. Do you think you could take an Aldo's espresso and pour it into a Topo Chico? Hell yes. I love how synergistic we are this week in our product recommendations. The coffee per pound is $18, which I don't know if that's good or bad because I've never really been able to determine how many cups of coffee I get out of a bag. But making your own coffee is one of my little joys in life. The one thing we need to remind our readers of is that we still want reader submitted products of the week. So just because we don't just hit you over the head with it every week does not mean we don't want them because we do. You can DM us at Eyewitness Beauty. You can email us Nick at Eyewitness Beauty, Annie at Eyewitness Beauty, hi at Eyewitness Beauty. But email us, tell us, text us, zing us, whatever, TikTok us your product of the week so we can include it in the podcast. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by the one and only Danny Prezant, who this week told us he felt like we were the cool kids and he was the music nerd, and we were only nice to him when we needed something. But I say he's the cool kid, and we're the podcast nerds. I right? agree. Danny, we really care about you and we do your well-being, and we think about you often and we just hope you're well and if you could just get us that 30 second um (laughs) clip (laughs) Clip that that we we need that would be great yeah (laughs) it'll be great exposure it'll be great exposure (laughs) (laughs) please remember to rate review subscribe to our podcast on apple Podcasts wherever podcasts are sold or given away for free and Also, like, chime in if you feel like we have a a healthy dynamic because we could use some some more sort of 
positive reinforcement for that, for this, for everything. With that, we bid you adieu. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. Be kind to Chloe. Cut yourself a break. We're live right now on Instagram. What? What?